Horns and Hooves. That's the title of our series. Anybody, if you kind of figure out, like you're pretty sure you know what we're talking about. Horns and Hooves or no idea. Well, we are talking about Satan. Ooh, that was creepier than it was in my head. <laughs> the devil, Beelzebub. We're for three weeks, we're gonna talk about the devil. And like, I get it. For some of you, it's like, is that really real? Because most of the images we see of Satan or the devil are cartoon characters. He comes out in a little red jumpsuit, little horns, little hooves, little you know, pitchfork in his hand. How, that's not that scary, right? Or we'll minimize him in cartoons just to like our conscience. Good guy on the right shoulder, bad guy on the left shoulder. It's a cartoon character. In fact, there are some in our culture, and this is crazy, who have made the devil into a mascot. Like, what school would do that? <laughs> Seriously. How serious can we take the devil? Because for a lot of people, he's a cartoon character, and it's not just like non-Christians. Do you know that almost half of all Christians believe that Satan is a metaphor for evil in the world, not a real person? Now, maybe you're there and go, yeah, I've kind of wondered that myself, and maybe he's not real. And... But let me just ask you this question. Have you ever met someone or known someone, had a friend, that they're getting attacked from all sides? A Job kind of a figure that the family's a mess, the marriage implodes. It's like out of nowhere. And at the same time, something happens with their health, like out of nowhere. And at the same time, something happens at work, a legal battle or a tanking of the economy. And at the same time, they start getting attacked on social media. They're slamming their character. Throughout my life, I've had several friends that I was convinced it was not a coincidence. Like all those things coming at once seem to be an orchestrated attack. Have you known anyone like that? What if it is? In fact, I had a friend this week that I prayed with because I am certain he is under satanic attack. All the things that are hitting him from multiple angles, at some point, you can't just chalk it up to coincidence anymore. And the Bible does teach that, in fact, Satan, who is a fallen angel, the, the archangel over the evil ones, is, has all these demons. I don't know how many millions or billions of angels there are or demons that there are, these fallen angels, that attack God's people to draw them away from God. If you believe in a biblical worldview then you would come to the realization that your real enemy, and this is helpful, your real enemy is not your ex. Your real enemy is not your boss. Your real enemy is not that irritating neighbor next door. You have an enemy who is in this room, who is watching over you to look for any opportunity to take you out. And in this series, we're gonna spend three weeks looking at three strategies that Satan uses. Now, the, the bad news is Satan is really powerful. Like He's really smart. He's really clever. He's good at his job. The good news for you is he only has three tools, like three. That's it. Three tools. And we're going to look at all three of them. And the best news of all, you have the power as a child of God to disarm the devil from every weapon he uses against you. So that's where we're headed in this series, and I'm just wondering how seriously you might take the devil. 
because the Bible takes him very seriously. In fact, the Bible has multiple names for the devil. You want to guess how many? How many? How many? 24 different names that the Bible identifies a very real person in. And today, I'm going to focus on just one of those names. And before I tell you what it is, I want to let you try to guess by watching this clip. Holiday, fly to deep center, and he's out. How about that? Helton faked him out. The old veteran acted like he... To the spot for his second. Oh! And what we have seen here is absolutely Shakespeare. <laughs> I don't care how good you are. I don't care how professional you are. I don't care how smart you are. All of us get deceived, tricked at some point or another. So the one attribute of the devil that I want to focus on today is deceiver. And he is really, really good at it. This, the Satan's first strategy, strategy number one, is deception. Jesus would say this about the devil in John chapter 8. When he lies, he speaks his native language. For he is a liar and the father of lies. But here's the trick of the trickster. He doesn't just straight up lie. Like you're too smart for that. He doesn't come out and say the sky is green. You know better. So what he does is he brokers in half truths, in twisted truths. And I want to walk you through the first time that Satan ever did that. It's in the Bible. If you have one, turn to the very first book, chapter 3. Now, I'll set it up this way. Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, a beautiful garden, all these trees, and they can eat like fruits and nuts, and everything in the garden is beautiful. Their life is, is it's idyllic. And they're walking through the garden, and they come across the one tree, one tree, just one tree that God said, don't eat from that tree. There's one tree. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they just happen to be right there. And the devil shows up in the form of a serpent. And he says to Eve, this is chapter 3, verse 1, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Really? God is such a killjoy. Satan's really good at making God seem like a bummer. Did God really, you can't, look, look at all these trees, you can't eat from any of the trees? No, no, God said the opposite. You can eat from all of the trees except this one. There's just, just, just this one. Now, if you're a parent of a child on summer break, you know exactly how this works. The kid is, is like, they're on five hours of screen time a day, and you go, okay, no more screen time, no more screen time. You can't, you can't do any screen time today. And they go, there's nothing to do. What do you mean there's nothing to do? You could go outside. You could go to the park. You could have a friend over. You can go to a friend's house. We could play a board game. You could read a book. God forbid you read a book. Nothing to do. Satan will, and he doesn't even make an accusation against God. He just asks a question. And the question of Satan caused Eve to question God. Let me say that again, because Satan will ask you a question, and it could come from culture, from CNBC or Fox News, 
It could be from a neighbor or an ex or a child. But the question will cause you to question God. And what he attacks first is the lavish goodness of God. He made this whole garden for you to enjoy. And Satan finds the one thing that God prohibits. And if God ever prohibits something, it is for your good. You know that. But Satan, with a question, will cause you to question the goodness of God. Now, Eve knows better. She knows what God said. Did God really say? No, she knows what God says. And she's about to tell the devil what God said. But the question that Satan asked her caused her to say that God said some things not quite like how God said it. So I'm going to read both statements. I'm going to read what Eve said that God said. Then I'm going to read what God said. And then we're going to compare them and notice three differences between what God actually said and what Eve said that he said. Chapter 3, verse 2. Eve said, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but... God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. That's what Eve said, God said. Here's what God actually said. This is chapter 2, verse 16. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat it, you will certainly die. Now, you might say, oh, I didn't see any difference. Oh, it's subtle. Satan's questions will cause you to make just some subtle differences that have a world of impact. Here's the difference, number one, of what God said and what Eve said, he said. God said, you are free to eat. You're free to eat. Like, eat from a chestnut tree. Have have an apricot, like an, an apple, a kumquat. Free to eat whatever you want to eat. Just not this one tree. Here's what Eve said that he said, you may eat, but subtle. But Satan has got into her head. It's got into some of our heads too that God is a killjoy. God doesn't want you to have fun. God, like, no drinking and no dancing and no sex and no fun. Like a lot of people, that's how they view God. And what Eve subtly said, God said, you may eat. God said, you're free to eat, and she reduced it to may. And then emphasized the but. But there's one tree we're not supposed to touch. The second difference between what God said and Eve said is, Eve said that God said, you can't touch it. God said, nothing like that. Like God never said, don't touch it. He didn't say, don't look at it. He didn't say, don't walk by it. God just said, don't eat of it. Now, here's what I've noticed. This is, like, this is so contemporary. This passage is, is as contemporary as the iPhone 14. What Satan's question will cause us to do is go one of two directions. To become a libertarian, just to do whatever you want, with whoever you want, whenever you want, however you want. Just freedom, just do whatever, do your own thing, man. Or we go the other direction and we start adding to what God said. And both of them come from the same idea that God is not as good as you want him to be. Because if you don't think God is good, like you'll just do whatever you want. If you don't think God is good, on the other hand, you might just start adding rules. 
I don't know what kind of church you grew up in. Church I grew up in, we loved extra rules. Now, for example, the Bible says that sex is for a, a, a husband and a wife. So what the Bible says. But what my church said to me is, don't dance. What is that? Why not dance? Because that will lead to sex. Well, now that I'm married, if you do it right, yeah, but I was 12. <laughs> I was 12. The Bible says don't get drunk. You know what my church said? Mm -mm -mm -mm, don't touch the stuff, it's the devil's brew. No alcohol, uh, don't listen to rock music, don't go to movies, and don't go, like Hollywood is evil, and Disney, Disney, uh-uh. And some of you right now are pushing back going, yeah, but you've heard about Disney, right? Hold up, time out, time out. I want to make this crystal clear. I'm not saying that you shouldn't live a righteous life. You should. Because the quality of your ethics and your morality does represent Jesus. But here's the trick, and it's such a trick of the devil. Legalists don't live right to represent God well. They live right so that other people who are insiders will think they're more of an insider than them. It's all about pride. Legalism derives from pride in yourself, and that is exactly what is going to make Eve fall. So I want you to take that pride, put it in your pocket, save it for later. I'm going to get back to it in just a minute, okay? Third thing that Eve said that God said. God said, you certainly, you will certainly die. But Eve said, God said, lest you die. I know it's a, it's a minor change. It's just a minor change. But it's kind of like when you tell a teenager, look, if you text and drive, I will take your car keys away. You text and drive once. No second chances. I will take your driving privileges away. What do they do? Well, they're a teenager. They text and drive. That's what they do. Because they don't believe that you're serious about the punishment. Eve, and I think it goes back to what Satan said. Did God really say, God's a killjoy. God doesn't want you happy. God doesn't want you to live an extravagant life. And she bought into this deceptive lie of Satan. His question caused her to question God. Now, some of you have questioned God at that very point. Because there's something that you've seen out there that you want to experience and you feel like, God, God's not going to want me to be happy like that. God is serious about the punishment. And Satan picks up on her insecurity. In verse 4, he goes, Pff. Now that, it's not in the Hebrew text, or it's not in English, it's in the Hebrew. <laughs> you will... Not certainly die, the serpent said to Eve. <laughs> Are you kidding me? For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be, catch this, like God, knowing good and evil. And that is what trapped her. It was that deception that you can be like. Now, was it true that she could be like God? Uh, kind of, because she did not know good and evil, she was innocent. But as soon as she took that fruit, she would know good and evil, like God knows good from evil. But what she didn't factor in is that Satan's promises, you have to pay for, not him. 
And so in that moment, she takes a second look at the, at the tree. When the woman saw that the tree, uh, that, that the fruit of the tree was good for food, that was a physical temptation, that it was pleasing to the eye, that's a visual temptation, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, that's a temptation of the pride, she took some and ate it. But did you notice she changed the word? The fruit, you remember the tree, the name of the tree? Fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, not the knowledge of wisdom. And that's part of the problem. We think that being smarter will make us wiser. Not true. In fact, I would argue that the more information our culture gets, the more foolish we become. This is a problem for me. That You may know this about me. I kind of lean towards the intellectual. It's my love language. I can't help it. Books and knowledge and learning, like I'm, I'm all over it. I had a friend tell me years ago, he said, Mark, you are so smart that you can convince anyone of anything, even yourself. I can justify any sin. Just ask me, I'll tell you. This is why I acted like this. This is why I thought like this. This is why I treated people like this. I can justify anything, and it's not just that Satan has deceived me. I'm smart enough to deceive myself. But smart and wise are two different things. And Eve then, it it says in Genesis 3-7, that the eyes of both of them were opened, and they recognized they were naked, How'd you know you're naked, Adam? Like, when did that strike you? So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Here's what will always happen when Satan deceives you and you sin. This will always happen. It will always happen. You experience shame. And when you experience shame, you try to cover it up. Now, let me ask you this question. Who are they sowing fig leaves for? Like they're covering up their nakedness. Who are they covering it up from? Not the animals. They don't care. Not God. He didn't care. They were hiding from each other. Sin will always affect your closest relationships. So if you're hiding something from the people you love, from a parent or a spouse or a friend... If you have a closet that they're not allowed to go into, or you have something tucked between the, between the mattresses in your room, if you have a, a URL browser that you erase, if you shut off your phone so they won't know where you are, if you have a bank account that they don't know about, I can promise you every single time it's because of shame and you have been duped by the devil. And the greatest deception of all, you see this in verse 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. How foolish. Like seriously, that's just, that's pathetic. To think you're going to hide from God, and yet we do. Some of us right now are hiding in plain sight at CCV. It may be the conversations we're covering up or the lies that we're telling or the secrets that we're not sharing, but we're trying to hide not just from the people around us that we care about, we're trying to hide 
from God. And that is so sad. And what I want you to hear me say is not shame on you. No, no. I want you to say, hear me say, God loves you. And he's going to chase you down behind that tree. He's going to find you. He will redeem you. And he'll welcome you back into his good graces. That's what our good God does. So, just like Adam and Eve in the garden, I want to call out to you, ollie, ollie, oxen free. You can come out of hiding. You are still loved as you are. We are deceived by the devil. I am, you are, I don't care how smart you are, how good you are, how professional you are, all of us can be duped by the devil. So how do we unmask this tool that he has to deceive us? I'm gonna give you some really good news, and it's really good news. There is a way. And Jesus modeled it for us. If we move from uh, the Old Testament to the New Testament, uh, specifically Luke 4, we're going to see Jesus in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. It's the same temptations as Eve. And and part of the reason I'm thinking about this is I got a text this last week from my credit card company. They told me that my account was uh, in jeopardy. And I had to get online and re-enter some of my uh, personal details. Do you think I actually clicked on the link? I did. (laughs) Fortunately, they were, like it was a spreadsheet, I'm supposed to fill in my name, my address, my phone number, and before I filled any of it in, I thought, I'm just going to give the company a call. So I called the company and said, I, I got this text, and they go, no. <laughs> just no. Just delete it, which I did. I haven't always, and neither have you. We all get just tricked. Wouldn't it be great if when Satan lied to you, whether that lie comes through a friend or an ex or a, 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 former, a former coach, wouldn't it be good if you just had a phone number you could call? Or or better yet, have you heard about Snopes? It's a website that is a fact-checking website. So you hear something on the news, or you hear something on Instagram, you hear something from a friend, you can just go to Snopes and type it in, and they will tell you whether it's true, or to what extent it's true, where it started, how it got bent out of shape, or blown up out of proportion. If we just had a Snopes for Satan, that would be pretty cool. We do. There Jesus is in the wilderness, and it's a desert, barren desert. Like, our desert is like a Garden of Eden compared to theirs. And I actually love the Edenness of our desert, but it is the dry, rocky place. Jesus has been there for 40 days, hasn't eaten, hasn't drank anything, and Satan comes to him and says, hey, Jesus, that rock over there, you know, it, it, looks, it looks a lot like a loaf of bread, I bet you could turn that stone into bread and you wouldn't be hungry anymore. Now, if I turn stone into bread, would that be a sin? No, it'd just be awesome. But for Jesus, if he turns stone into bread, then he is refusing to live like us, using his divine powers to get around pain and suffering. And if he takes a wrong turn in the desert, he will never make it to the cross. That's how serious this temptation is. And so to combat the lie of Satan, Jesus said, the word of God says, man shall not live 
by bread alone. He used scripture to combat the devil. That is the antidote to Satan's lies. So Satan then takes him to a really high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world and says, I will give all of these to you. Like, I'm in control of all of them, which was not really true, but kind of. And Satan says, Jesus, I, like, I'll get out of the way, and you can have like an open lane to these kingdoms. All you got to do is just bow the knee once to me. That's all. One time. And Jesus said, the word of God says, you shall worship none other than the Lord your God and him alone. The answer is no. And so Satan's kind of catching on to the gig. With every temptation, Jesus is quoting scripture. <laughs> and so he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. And I've been there, and you can stand at the base and look up. Like, you fall off that, you're dead. Like, doorknob dead. And so Jesus is up there with Satan, and he says, just throw yourself off. Because the Bible says, and now Satan starts quoting scripture. He knows it better than I do. He, he quotes the scripture that says that the angels will lift you up. They will not let you strike your stone, your foot against a stone. To that misquoting, Jesus responded, the word of God says you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Do you see a pattern developing here? With every temptation, Jesus replies with a quotation of scripture. The problem a lot of Christians have is they don't, they don't know the word of God. Do you know how bank tellers are trained to recognize counterfeits? This is true. They don't look at counterfeits. They study the real thing. So that when any variation comes from what their eyes are used to seeing, it pings them and they recognize that's not the original. This is our original it is not archaic. It is as relevant today as it's ever been. And when you put your eyes on it time and time and time again, when something comes at you that varies from this, you will recognize it in an instant. And that is the goal of the disciple of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to see from Eve's temptation to Jesus, they were the same temptations. Different packaging, but the same temptations. First John Chapter 2, verse 16 says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, that's everything in the world. There is no other kind of temptation. Comes from, not from the Father, but from the world. The lust of the flesh. For Eve, it was a piece of fruit that was good for food. For Jesus, it was stone to bread. The, the lust of the eyes. For Eve, it was this fruit that looked good. It, it, it was a delight to the eyes. For Jesus, it was the kingdoms of the world. The boastful pride of life. For Eve, it was becoming like God. And for Jesus, it was throwing himself off the temple. But you and Jesus and Eve, it's all the same categories of temptation. My guess is that where Satan is going to lie to you is in one of these three areas. Either in your body, like you have a chemical addiction to something, or maybe uh, laziness or slothfulness or uh, eating addiction. It is the lust of the flesh. Or it might be the lust of the eyes, a new car, a new house, a new toy that you've really wanted. Your Amazon wish list is huge. Or it might be the pride of life, that you want a promotion at work, or maybe it's your spouse that's taking you for granted. They just don't know how good they have it with you. In one of those three areas, Satan will lie to you and get you to buy in to this lie that God is not a good 
God. I want to show you how this works in a practical way, how the word of God can actually liberate you from Satan's lies. It was probably 20 years ago, I'm preaching in this uh, little church in Georgia. About 50 people in the audience, the stage was like eight inches off the ground. And it was, uh, it was a, a Friday through Sunday meeting, and I'm teaching through the book of Revelation. And on the second row was a girl about 16 years old. She didn't fit in, like kind of goth looking. And so I recognized that there was something a little bit off about her, but you know, everyone's welcome. And so I'm going through, I get to the chapter 14 where we're talking about the mark of the beast. And for some reason, I was just drawn to her. I stepped down off the stage, walked right up to the, for the first row of seats, and I just talked to her for like, like two or three minutes, which is a long time. And she just, I, I knew something was happening, but I couldn't tell what it was. But I was explaining what the text is saying, that Satan will lie to you. He will make you promises that you have to pay for. He will promise you power, he will promise you popularity, and he will use those to destroy you. At the end of the message, she elbowed her youth pastor, who was sitting right next to her, and she goes, you told him, you told him. Well, she's a strong woman. She stands up, puts her hands on her hips, and says, honey, I didn't tell him nothing. Now, do you want to ask me any questions? Well, what that was all about is on Wednesday, she had come to youth group and said, I'm not coming back. Because I have some friends who follow Satan, and Satan has promised me that if I will follow him, he will give me power, and he will give me popularity. I read her mail. Like, I, have, I had no idea. God just put those thoughts in my brain. They came out of my mouth, and she was just blown back in her seat. And when she realized that God was reaching out to her through his word, she got baptized and 20 years later, I saw this youth pastor at a conference, and I said, hey, how is that girl? And she goes, oh, the one right over there? Yeah, she's still serving our youth group as an adult. And I hope that can be your story, that at some point, the word of God becomes so real to you and so trusted by you that anything that deviates from this you will recognize instantly is a ploy of the devil to deceive you that's why we preach from this every week that's why we encourage you to get into groups that opens up the bible every week that, that's why i would challenge you to get into god's word if not every day at least four days a week on your own read one chapter just one chapter it takes five minutes and find one verse in that one chapter that you can underline and say, okay, today for one hour, I'm going to live that verse. If you live one verse for one hour from one verse that you pulled from one chapter that you read, your life will change so significantly you won't even believe it. So let's start right here, right now. Here's my challenge that you would let the word of God sink into your heart. Let's start with John chapter 8, verse 32. It says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Would you read that with me? Everyone on all our campuses, you watching online, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's so important. We need to read it again. Would you? Would you read it again with me? And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, one more time. One more time. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I know I'm pushing my luck, but just one more. You got it in you? And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. 
Would you let that get into your soul? All right, one more time. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Lord God, this is our prayer, that your truth would set us free from the lies of the devil, from our own self-deception. Would you give us the discipline to develop an awareness of your truth, not to know more knowledge about the Bible, but have more wisdom from the Bible. Not to be arrogant and puffed up about all we know about your truth, but to be humble and obedient to your word. May it be so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, before you pick up your umbrella, one, one quick idea here. Uh, the devil's a liar and he always lies. Except there is one time that he tells the truth. There's one time he tells the truth. And that is what we'll talk about next week. Let's go make Jesus famous.